Hey buddies, welcome back to another episode of Morbo Stumpo, and today I speak with evolutionary biologist, science teacher, math teacher, Jason Godwise. He also fought for a couple years in the UFC, and we talk a little bit about that in the beginning of this episode, but I'm going to try a little bit of a different intro. Hold on to your lab coats, because we're about to explore these tantalizing topics and unravel the science behind them. Get ready for a mind-boggling adventure into the world of four-chambered stomachs, methane madness, and genetically engineered rodents. Well, Jason, thank you so much for coming on to the episode for today. I really appreciate you taking the time and working it into your schedule. So go ahead and tell the listeners who you are. This is the worst thing. I I am so terrible at this. <laughs> they, yeah, they always go, what? Um, I guess, because every time, I, this is my worst thing. Cause I, I guess I'm a science teacher, math teacher, um, UFC fighter, um, kind of a, people say renaissance man because i'm kind of interested in a lot of things and they um and as the discussion gets going i usually more things come up so i've coached a lot of people taught and trained a lot of people so i guess i'll just kind of leave it at that it's that that'll be very unsatisfying for you (laughs) no that's actually a lot better than i thought it was gonna be because i like springing it on because i want to see what it is like will pop into your head but I did get to watch one of your fights on YouTube, and I can't remember the name of the fight. I should have wrote it down. I was, as I was watching, I was like, I need to write this down, who this fighter is, because I'll forget it. But your fight, what was it like in the earlier days fighting in the UFC? Um, and that, they said that's one of the things, because probably mm-hmm. the fighting in the UFC is probably 2% of my life. So mm-hmm. people always um, bring that up, but it's not that big a deal. Um, the early days were different for everybody. For me, um, I was a Golden Gloves boxer, and I was pretty good. I, I got the, can win the state, maybe never did anything on a national level. The same thing with wrestling. I was kind of, you know, pretty good, but it wasn't going to. And I always, I'd have wrestling matches. And I'd say, man, if we could hit, I would just kill you. <laughs> or, and I'd have boxing matches that I, you know, guys top 10 in the country, you know, mm-hmm. that were ranked. And I'd push them around and pummel them. And I'd say, God, if we could wrestle, I could double, I could slam you to the mat. And then when the UFC came out, I'm like, oh, that's for me. Um, and I I kind of grew up in a pretty rough school, a rough neighborhood, so I had a lot of fights. There were a lot of, I mean, probably not more, but there was, in my neighborhood I had a lot of fights. So that was one thing that kind of was always on the back of my mind, that I could fight, and I never really, well, I only lost a couple street fights, and that was bigger, older kids, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I, so for me, it was different than other people. For me, it was self-actualization. It was kind of... I really liked this idea that you took a sport or a, a combat sport that took the you know strength of a power lifter, the endurance of a marathon runner, the strategy of a chess master that really took the skills of boxing and martial you know kicking and grappling and studying things and this is like the ultimate most thing it t- the sport that takes the most you know I I was in an I think it wasn't before this was before podcasts. I think it was an interview on a radio or something like way back because I'm so old. <laughs> and um, some I said something like, you know, people people were talking about a guy was talking about golf and he said how it's the most uh, pressure on the game and all this. I said, I said golf is nothing. I said they, they want you want the crowd silent when you're putting. I said imagine putting where the crowd's screaming at you and the guy's trying to knock pound your teeth down your throat and somebody's hitting you and kicking you while you're putting and they're going to, you know, headbutt you. That, and the, I said, but golf is, you're, what, there's pressure that I'm going to miss this putt? Nobody's going to break your arm if you miss the putt. 
And the guy said to me at the, it was a commercial break or something. He said, I have a hundred golfers for every cage fighter. Don't say that anymore. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm not trying to insult any golfers out there, but it just, I, to me, it was kind of a unique thing because I really thought of it as the Ebermeinchen, you know, self-actualization, like Nietzsche's overman. I wanted to try to experience and grow this as much as possible. Like today I did a, I don't know if you can see that or not, right but I, I, yeah, I was swinging Bulgarian bag till I was ready to throw up and I didn't know we were going to do one this early. So I, <laughs> I just wanted to get a workout and push yourself, test yourself, grow. Just, I always try to, you know, do those things. Um, I'll get a kettlebell even today, you know, I'll get a kettlebell and I'll, I'll get a big heavy kettlebell and I'll swing it for a six minute wrestling match. Cause I'm helping some high school kids. I'm saying, you know, to see if you can do this for six minutes and have this power with this work output for that long. And I wanted to learn. I, I, I taught anatomy physiology. I taught it out of college textbooks at the uh, health magnet for IPS. And we had cats and, you know, we did the integumentary system and the nervous system, the muscular system. And so I was really into f- biomechanics, physiology, anatomy, physiology, and, and where bones would go and where, you know, things. And were, I, you, were you into that before you did any of the boxing? Oh, yeah. I was, yeah, I was, then? I think I, I can remember back in third grade, like when kids would say, what do you want to be? And, you know, I want to be a cowboy. I want to be a, a detective. And I'd say, I want to be a scientist. I was that kind of a nerd. And I loved, I always loved science. That was probably my first, um, just, and it's because I always say science is just trying to find the truth. That's all it is. You use the scientific method to find truth. You question, you ask, keep an open mind. The problem, the problem now, science has been ruined because people don't ask questions, they don't have an open mind, and they don't, and they're not humble. Because Albert Einstein had a, you know, he said the universe wasn't expanding. Then he said, "Oh, that was the dumbest thing I ever said, and biggest dumbest biggest mistake I ever made." Nobody ever thought, "Oh, that was dumb." And he's like, "Oh, you were wrong." You know, uh, Eratosthenes, whoever, you know, um, had things wrong, and that was never a bad thing. Now it's so science is kind of a to me is a sacred thing, the quest of knowledge, you know, I, uh, the burning of the great library of Alexander is something in history. I'm like, wow, that was a terrible thing. You know, I, I remember when I was little, I, and I mean, little fourth grade or something, I want, I would go to the library downtown Indianapolis. I'd bring back a, um, a laundry basket of books. I, um, I grew up in a time when, um, everybody wanted to, before the internet, they had traveling encyclopedia salesmen who would go door to door and sell encyclopedias. So everybody that had a baby, their kid was going to be a doctor or a lawyer, somebody brilliant, and they had to buy their kid a set of encyclopedias. Mm-hmm. Remember, I don't, you probably don't remember that because you were too young. But. Well, I do remember encyclopedias because when I was younger, I'd watch old TV shows and they'd have encyclopedias. In them. Right. And so <laughs> what people forget is the encyclopedias were the internet. Mm-hmm. They had Encyclopedia Britannica, Encyclopedia Americana, they had a world book. I lived in these very poor apartments that people were getting kicked out of and moving all the time. And I was a little kid. I'd go through the dumpster. They had like a, this is before the, the dumpsters picked them up. Mm-hmm. They were actually trash barrels and they had a, they were, they were inside a big wooden um, structure, like a building without a roof. And I would make my rounds trash picking and I'd pick up every encyclopedia through there and I had them in my room and I would go through them and, and study them and, and 
basically I kind of have a weird memory. I'd, I'd kind of memorized through uh, and through what was happening, you know, what was going on. So I really, I had a, a craving for knowledge that was just unbelievable. So whenever you read something, does there, is there a picture in your mind that comes up to relate to the words or is it that you just remember the sentences? I just had an argument with an English teacher about that. <laughs> I just like a week ago. Okay. Cause sure. he said how we th think in words. And I, and I said to him, are you crazy? I said, if I say dog, you, a picture of a dog pops in your head. You don't think D O G. <laughs> and he said to me, yeah, I do. I said, you see the letters D O G. If I say dog, you don't think of a dog if I say leopard you don't see a leopard in your head you see l-e-o-p-a-r-d and he said well yeah and I I said you're and I I didn't call him a liar but I'm like really I thought that was so odd and he's, he's the anomaly of that's of gotta be an anomaly because people think in pictures if I say truck mm -hmm. you're thinking of whatever truck you're not so um I probably think of ideas and, and I, I'm really big on relating everything back to something else. Try to look at the big picture of, I remember, you know, whatever. And that's one reason I think I was really good at um, submission fighting and things. Because I say, okay, how does this bone go together? And how does this move flow into this move? And, and in boxing combinations, you know, Mike Tyson was fabulous until he tried to knock out everybody with one punch. He had great combinations. You know, there's one punch, to, uh, I think it was whoever the, might have been Customato or probably everybody attributes it to him, but whoever was said, one punch don't knock people out. And I think it was Joe Lewis's tr trainer. He said, you got to hit them again and again and you shoot, shoot the combinations together and put those together and tips the head one way, then the other, and then they get knocked out. Same thing with ideas. And um, that's where I see things like the greenhouse effect, you know, they're talking about global warming and I'm, I'm looking at people going, you know, our carbon dioxide levels have gone up, but during the, the place or during the uh, Mesozoic, there were two or 3000 parts per million. Now we're, and Al Gore said we all burn up at 400 parts per million and people, and I've had scientists, professors in universities say, yeah, but the oceans didn't have, I said, have it. I said, there's fossils. There are coral fossils that are three, you know, hundred million years old. Or I, we get them in Indiana all the time. I said, are there from that age? There were plenty of coral in the oceans then, you know. And but I, and then again, there's not that. That's not the only thing. I'm worried more. I would think methane's going to come up and heat up things quite a bit, which has about two hundred times the ability of of carbon dioxide per molecule to heat up and store heat. Was that why, like? Alexander Ocasio-Cortez says that all the cows are going to kill us. Yeah, and that always <laughs> bugs me because I'm, I'm such a nerd. And I, because, and it's not cow farts, it's cow belches, but that's the <laughs> yeah, foolish the thing there is cows are ruminants. They have four-chambered stomachs. Mm -hmm. And so they pass um, the digestion from one stomach to another as they go and they, and they belch a lot of methane out. But guess what? You know how many, so... We have cows that are doing this. When Columbus hit the shores of North America, we had 60 million bison. Mm -hmm. They were doing it. They were fermenting. So they have, they, bison have four-chambered stomachs yeah, as well? Yeah, all the ungulates do. All the ungulates? Ungulates, uh, anything with an even hoof. Like uh, oh, cows, really? gazelles, deer, moose. Are you serious? Antelope. All of them. That's so, an easier way to remember it. Yeah, just, well, there's, there's uh, and I forget, it's perissodonts and actylodonts. It's, there's two which horses have one hoof. Mm -hmm. Okay, they have an odd number. Elephants have one, or they have five. They come through. And rhinos, 
and um, so those are not, those are different. They, they're not as efficient as digesting and they're so, actually going kind of extinct. Really? Yeah, because... Oh, the rhinos? Rhinos, elephants, horses. Like, there's no wild horses. President Wolski's horse are. Um, so they are kind of going... They're not as efficient at digesting. They have to... And, um, okay, because I looked up in books and things and this strange thing. But, yeah, they have to... They're... A, ca- uh, a cow might hold grass in for 80 hours as it goes through its digestive system. A horse... Probably like done in forty hours. I cut it in half. It's I don't remember the exact like thirty six hours or something. So it'll it'll poop out some less digested material. It won't get as much nutrition from it, but then it can get it'll eat some more. But it won't produce probably quite as much methane. But does it do anything with? Pull that mic in just a little oh. bit more with you. Um, does it do anything while it's digesting with the absorption of? Oh yeah, nutrients it's digesting the, the whole time, and so it's digesting more nutrients. It gets the more nutrition in. out of it. You can almost almost tell an animal's efficiency and they and they used to this used to be a thing farm 4-h kids would understand and they called it an uh, animal units which is and um or they would call it feed you know efficiency like a goat has a very long stomach long intestinal tract and so basically if you think of an animal this is weird can't believe we're talking about this from if you think of your mouth and your anus Okay, yeah. you're just a tube. Yeah, that uh, you're 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 a tube. You may have, you may have an arms and a legs, and uh, a giraffe might have a longer neck. An octopus might have more, but you're 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 a tube. Once the development of the anus happened, and we weren't going from a flatworm, and however long that is, is basically how much nutrition you can get out of your food, and that's you know the idea that humans have an appendix because before we were eating much more uh, rough food and had to to, um, you know, digest it a little longer. And this is one thing where people say, like meat rots in your stomach, it's not digestible. That's such crap. Meat is very easy to digest. Carnivores have a very short digestive tract because they get 100% out in in this long. Whereas if you're eating grass and you have to break down the cellulose, Mm -hmm. the cell wall, all that stuff, it has to sit there for a long time. Microbes have to attack it. So you can almost tell an animal how rough of food they're eating or difficult to digest by how long their intestinal tract is. You know what animal has probably almost the simplest digestive tract of anything? I have kind no of a weird little cre- I have, I have no idea. Let me think. Well, you mentioned a carnivore. Be a oh, car- it's to be a carnivore? Well, it have to be something that's because your meat, your cells are already pretty easy to get through. I have no clue. A vampire bat. Really? Because drinking blood. <laughs> Blood's already pretty much where it needs to be to digest. You don't have to tear apart cell walls like a plant. You know, their yeah, their that, stomach. That out, yeah. yeah, their stomach is basically just a, a, a beginning of a test. You know, it's a very mm-hmm. simple structure. A lion has a much simpler digestive system than a zebra, which has a simpler one than say a, a buffalo, which has the chambered stomachs, and that work. And then some animals bypass it, like birds, which have a gizzard. Which mm-hmm. grinds everything up with rocks and destroy, you know, can really get through, can can help also. And probably dinosaurs had that too. So that's, uh, so yeah, it's kind of in the whole animal kingdom of that. This is a weird topic to get off on. <laughs> Honestly, I love it. I love that kind of stuff because there's no agenda with this. It's oh, just yeah, you, the conversation. I've, I've done a and few I love of these learning. people and they're like, oh, so yeah, that's, uh, so yeah, it, well, my point of that is if you say we have all these cows burping, mm-hmm. Okay, before human beings existed on Earth, we had buffalo, antelope, 
we had the prairies blackened with with buffalo. You couldn't even see the, you know, take your days mm-hmm. for the. We had uh, there were more wildlife which had the same digestive tract as a cow, doing the same burping and belching, and nobody mentions that, or the fact that you know if you ever watch the movie Jurassic Park, we have we just hit about four hundred parts per million carbon dioxide in our atmosphere. Back then, it was 2,000 parts per million. Nobody said life was gone then. And the more carbon dioxide, the, the more greener it is, correct? Yeah, but car- carbon is, and it's, that's what, another thing. It's because, you know, carbon dioxide is just when I breathed out oxygen, plants breathe it in. Yeah. Um, so plants need carbon dioxide. It is a hothouse gas. And I, I think we are heating up the plant. I even did a calculation with, I forget the formula, it's like four, four-thirds pi cube for the, surface of the earth and then every BTU of energy we put out plus, which wasn't actually as much as you think, plus all the, the greenhouse gas. So it does follow, but I think the methane's just as important. And then there's all these feedback loops. Like you've been out in the winter where the snow's covering the ground and it's so bright, you almost mm-hmm. need sunglasses. All that light's being reflected back into space. So when the snow doesn't hit the ground, the ground's absorbing all that heat. That's incredible amount. They, of, I'll call it albedo, where you're not libido, but albedo. <laughs> I knew you. Th- I saw your face, yeah. and um, but that absorbs in the ground. But whereas if it's covered with white snow, it reflects back, and you, so you have that. You have carbon dioxide. You have methane. So when people when are just saying, "Oh, it's carbon dioxide," you're being a bad scientist because you're not. That's like saying, um, you know, "Oh, my car." gets the fuel mileage in my car depends on how fast I go. Well, it does, but also how much you're, or your truck, how much you're carrying. You know, like if I carry, if I, or how much you're towing, mm-hmm. it's ignoring that. And it's ignoring, ignoring, you know, if I going uphill and all this. So, so there's a lot of the chemistry, the geochemistry, the geophysics of the earth and what's going to heat it. And then what the sun puts out and then on our uh, orbit around the, the sun you know, uh, where we are at, you know, and that's, you, unless you're taking all that in, but see, the trouble is, if you start explaining that to everybody, you know, they're going, that's just too much taken and they shut off. But if they just give them one thing to think about, you can kind of, and as I said, I, I think that we're heating, I think we are heating up the planet from a lot of things. And I think once the frozen methane comes out, that's going to be bigger, but we're, we're not being real honest and nobody has a solution for it. Nobody's saying, Everybody says, oh, America has to shut down all their factories and put everybody out of work. But China can do that, can keep going. Mm-hmm. And India, well, that's, we're producing half the CO2 of, of China right now. So that's, that's totally dishonest, you know. So what would be your answer? Ooh, that, this is actually mm-hmm. something that doesn't have an answer. And I'll tell you why. The, you ha- it's like this. You'd have to have. 10 people at a table. I hate to use the number 10 because I, I wish we had a base 8 number system instead of 10 <laughs> or even a base 12. But if you had 10 people at a table and everybody there had to agree to um, not take a cookie, <laughs> you know, and there's eight cookies, who's going to be satisfied? Some are want two. Everybody's going to want one. Some are going to want three. So... For any one country to say, well, I'm going to stop doing this. And every time it's done, like when Al Gore did the carbon credits, he said this, basically. He said, okay, all of you rich 
countries that are manufacturing stuff, you're polluting with carbon dioxide. You're belching carbon dioxide atmosphere. We're going to tax you on it, but keep doing it. That's just a way to gather money. And then we're going to collect that money and we're going to give it to all of the countries that can't manufacture anything because they're, they don't have much. And we're going to give them the money. I'm sure taking out a huge amount, mm-hmm. which would then make them wealthy enough to start buying stuff from the countries that are producing, making more carbon dioxide. So it's such a dishon. There's no one that's really come up with it with an honest answer. Um, if you, if you pushed me on that, I would say, this, this, for example, the idea of recycling and things, that's foolish. Recycle, how about use less to begin with? Don't manufacture it in the first place. For me to make a big plastic thing or produce 10 units of carbon, and then I recycle it, which takes five units of car, you know, carbon, and then I make something else, how about we use the old idea that... Um, you know, farmers, like glass jar. I mean, I remember when jelly jars were used as drinking glasses and our milk came in in, in glass jars and thing, you know, glass jugs mm-hmm. and we used and you washed them over and over again, use that. Or you um, had bottles of Coke and you take them back to the Coke plant and, you know, Coca-Cola, not cocaine, but Pepsi <laughs> or RC or whatever. The, to, the, my thing would be we're re- we're reusing, not recycling, because the recycling is such a fraud. You know, to melt all that plastic and restart it again, and then the ethanol is kind of a, you know, we're gonna we're gonna use clean energy with ethanol. I remember my grandfather in the seventies said, um, and this was when corn was like two dollars a bushel. He said, if you take a bushel of corn and you ferment everything in it perfectly or pretty good, you'll get about two and a half gallons of ethanol, which is C2H5OH. It's only two carbons long. It has about two-thirds the energy of an octane, of a gasoline molecule. So if your car is getting 30 miles a gallon on gas, it's only going to get 20 miles a gallon on ethanol, if everything's the same. So the ethanol, and if the ethanol is even, so the ethanol better be cheaper per gallon than the gasoline. And I'm not even talking about, you know, the plastics wearing out and the O-rings and stuff like that. And then all of that feed that was going to chickens and cows to make milk and eggs and meat for kids and humans and families is going to go up in price. And he said in the 70s, he says, well, but yeah, are we not going to take, he said, I'm, if I don't do it, because everybody, everybody was jumping on it. The windmills, I, I did this with my class. I, and I had kids that got 1600s on the SAT when I was a high school teacher. I had some very sharp kids. I, I was teaching at a pretty good school. Um, I said, if anyone can show me, we're going to convert all of the energy to BTUs, British Thermal Unit, the energy to heat one pound of water, one degree Fahrenheit. I said, if anyone can show me how we how a windmill, a, a, a wind turbine, will save more energy, will make more energy than it took to make. You know, the, and I so you got to count the bulldozer digging it out of the ground. You got to count smelting the iron ore. You got to count forming the blades. You got to count trucking the blades on site. You got to count constructing the windmill. You got to count people maintaining the windmill, designing, you put the engine in. And then the blades turning, and then the wire, the copper wire or aluminum wire, because in big, these and usually aluminum, bringing the power to the plant. How many, you know, BT and use, turn those kilowatts, or you could use the kilo, you know, we're going to make that before that windmill pays for itself in not dollars energy. Because what happens is if you get a government subsidy for putting solar panels on your house, 
well, they, they make money. Well, that, but did they really save energy? And that's one thing that's, because a solar panel, um, you get a 250 watt solar panel, and say it's three feet or four feet by six feet. What are what are we now? Like fifteen cents a kilowatt hour or something like that. It's, I have no clue. I, I think I could be wrong. That but, sounds about right. But yeah. Sure. Okay. A two hundred fifty watt solar panel, a kilowatt hour. By the time it, it's if it's going to run four hours perfectly, and when they rate them at two hundred fifty kilo you know, watts, that's under the Arizona sun, perfect ninety degree perpendicular. No bird has crapped on it. No fog has got on it, you know, because every, no wires have broken in it. Mm -hmm. No, the glass is perfect, you know, because their efficiency goes down every year mm -hmm. as they get dirty and, you know, birds. And um, what, and to bake that silica. Now, so solar panels have gotten better, but are they still, I want to know if they're. Well, you can't recycle those things at all, can you? Um, here's the trouble. By the time you, because to recycle, you think about how much you have to, to melt sand to turn it into glass takes a lot of gasoline. A lot of people say, well, that's coal. Well, okay, what if I took that coal and boiled water and turned a turbine and generate electricity? When, and the trouble is I haven't figured it all out. I'm just sort of suspicious. Mm -hmm. And no, here's the trouble nobody has. It really makes me annoyed. Um, do, you think, do you think that part of the reason why that, that answer hasn't been given is because of the money that's backing a oh, lot of yes. the coal industry. Always follow the, the money. Organizations. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. You can always follow the money. I did a, um, in fact, I have a YouTube uh, video out there because I took my class and because they were, they, I had a, I taught a lot of um, kids that were very anti GMO. And I said, are GMO foods bad for you? And they go, yeah. I said, how do you know? And they go, they, nobody had a study. And Monsanto was uh, big in Hawaii because I taught in Hawaii, so everybody hated Monsanto, you know, because they, they had an own land there, and they, I think they can get three crops of corn. What's to, Monsanto? Um, it's a big, um, they have GMO crops and GMO okay. food. They they sell seed corn, and which they, is ge genetically modified. Yeah, they organisms they, they or moved. A, yeah, they had some Roundup Ready seeds because Roundup is a, a, a pesticide or her, yeah. yeah herbicide, not pesticide. Pesticides for bugs. Herbicide that'll kill grasses and kill about anything but the these were plants were immune to it that they genetically altered which in some ways is good because then you didn't have to drag a plow through the ground and save money and you didn't disturb the topsoil so much there was less soil erosion and so forth but um a lot of the people said oh this is my they're terrible all these genetically modified foods are terrible and the first genetically modified food ever was the flavor saver tomato so it had a longer shelf life. The genes that let the fruit rot were just kind of taken out. They were snipped out on a, like a CRISPR type of thing, but this was before CRISPR, CRISPR, a gene altering thing. Cause that, and that's going to be the big thing going on when you can alter genes. Um, and so the kids were a lot like, I said, well, what would a, and then they were my students. So I said, what would a scientist do? We'll figure it out. I said, how can you? I said, so let's, I got 20 rats. I put them in each side. Well, actually, we had 40, four containers because we had GMO males, GMO females. And the dudes were by the door because I didn't want them to mix them up. Mm -hmm. And the women were by the windows. <laughs> so we had the, the GMO. Dudes by the door, okay. I yeah, we you. had the GMO rats on one side <laughs> of the room and the organic rats on the other side of the room. And we... And the rats were really nice. Kids could come and play with them. And they could pick mm -hmm. them up. They were not. So I said, make sure they go back in the right box <laughs> every time. And the, they would they would feed the GMO rats, every McDonald's, every GMO crap food there was. 
And the others got all these organic hippie foods and things. And after the, we went, we ran the whole thing all school year. It was nine months experiment. Wow. And then I kept it up the year. And that didn't teach me, but it reinforced what I knew, what I experienced before that. People are incredibly unreliable eyewitnesses. Because I had, I had college professors come in from Japan, because we were in Hawaii. So they come in from Japan. I'd, I'd have people, very, you know, doctors of various subjects come through the room and stuff. And they say, I, they'd say, what's going on? I explain it to them. And they would say, well, which ones are the GMO? And if I lie, I said, that side. Oh, yeah, I can see their fur's not as shiny. Oh, they're much more listless. I go, yeah. And they had, oh, and I had, I remember one guy, he said, oh, the odor that you could smell like they had stinkier poop and stuff. It didn't matter which side I switched. They, to me, they looked the same. If I mixed them around, you couldn't tell. Now it was only a year and a half, and it was rats, which have a quicker lifespan. But you can extrapolate from a rat to a human pretty good. You give a rat arsenic, you give a human arsenic, you give a, you know, they're, they're, they're going to react the same pretty much. You know, we're 95, you know, we always say, well, we're 98% the same as a chimp. Well, we're 95%, 93% same as a rat. You know, mm-hmm. we're not. So what, what works on a rat's going to, the same things are going to happen. Um, and that we, I didn't see much difference, but boy, people did. It, it depended on what they wanted to see. Really? So yeah, I have no, the placebo effect and the human mind is so powerful that I don't trust any, <laughs> I don't trust any reporting. I, I mean, we have that. That's why we have to have bl- double blind studies of things, because if you take a group of a hundred people and you give 50 of them a sugar pill and 50 of them the real drug, all of them will say they improved because the half, well, most of all, because they'll say the sugar pill, oh, they'll actually improve from it because they yeah. think they were supposed to. So you actually have to give them a double blind study. And that, those aren't even done perfectly. But yeah, the human mind too is, is incredible. It's, I mean, it makes you wonder, like the old books, like Dancing Wooly Masters and, and the physics, like waves and particles, like is, are thoughts things and they just alter reality or alter perceptions because I had many people come through there and everybody saw what they wanted to see. You know, that's interesting you bring that up with the placebo effect because I was talking to that with a physical therapist while they were working on my back and they were talking about how, I mean, they try to go without the surgery route. Right. So what they try to do is they really try to work on who the patient is, what the patient's feeling and what makes them feel better. And they made, they made the comment of, well, what makes you feel better? I'm like, if you rub my back and they just rubbed my back and I felt better. And then all they would do is just sit there with this little like metal stick thing. And then just like kind of rub the fascia of it. And that's all they did. Mm -hmm. Now, did it really do anything? Or was it my mind saying that this is making me feel better and I'm feeling better from it? And that's what we had the discussion on. And then more recently, I was like, I just need you to get, there's a muscle I can feel in my back, in my lower back. It's it's the muscles that separate from the spine that go over part of the rear part of my, oh, my yeah, pelvis. Oh, yeah, the fan out. The fan out. And I said, I name. feel a knot. I know there's a knot there. Just get that knot out. And there was a knot there. And as soon as he worked it out, completely everything else was fine because it was radiating from, from my lower back down to my legs. And yeah. then as soon as he resolved that one issue which was very obvious as he's running over it, it was like popping and doing like making the bump, mm-hmm. you know, his thumb was bumping out and then he's using the stick on it, whatever. But then 
I've had other issues to where I just need you to rub it and it'll be fine. Well, that's not, that can be taken out of context. I just need you to yeah. rub my back yeah. and it'll be fine. And they didn't do anything. They didn't go in for a deep massage. They didn't use any tools. They just simply rubbed my back and I was better. Yeah. I, it was the placebo effect of just knowing it's going to get better. Yeah. Physician heal thyself. It's, it's the, I've, I have so <coughs> many stories on that. And I, I even, cause I, I was, um, coaching i've coached high school since 87 and um i have older you know i have kids that i coach for a Mm -hmm. while and they see me now or even five you know later after that and they would say because i would say to a kid oh this fixed it and they're like yeah (laughs) and they go you just did that to me didn't you and i'm like yeah it worked because your mind thoughts are things Mm -hmm. and as uh, Napoleon Hill said, I really like a lot of Napoleon Hill. I, I could have done Who's that. Who's he? He is, um, he was probably the main, he was the first self-help guru. He was before Tony Robbins and Earl Nightingale and uh, oh Conan, uh, those guys. He was okay. there. Yeah, he was, he's really, Napoleon Hill, I really, if you wanted to say, I, I'm probably a disciple of Napoleon Hill. Although, he probably lied about a lot of his um, um, experiences because he said, "Oh, I talked to Rockefeller. I talked to Andrew Carnegie. I talked to Thomas Edison. I talked to um, Eleanor Rose, you know, Roosevelt and President Rose." So he and they and I, you know, they supported. So he probably lied about some of that in his self promotion thing, but it didn't doesn't make what he said not valid. Mm-hmm. It'd be like um, having some fabulous sports guy that knew everything. You know, like um, Arthur Jones who invented the Nautilus equipment or somebody saying, well, I talked to Deion Sanders and I talked to, um, you know, Mark McGuire and I talked to uh, LeBron James and I did, you know, and he didn't. But it's just the notoriety. of the Yeah, he needed the notoriety at that time to get yeah. books sold and so forth. But he, I think is. Um, was it, you said Andrew Carnegie? Yeah, it was one. Or, of, yeah, did Dale he, Carnegie write the book How to Win Friends and Influence yeah, People? Yeah, okay. no, no. How to, yeah, he did. Under. And he was one of the guys who followed Napoleon Hill. Really? Yeah, Andrew Carnegie. Because I read that. I read that book, which okay. is a great book. Yeah. Um, and uh, Napoleon Hill wrote "Think and Grow Rich," and Andrew Carnegie, or Dale Carnegie, because um, I've gotten because Andrew Carnegie was the Carnegie, the rich, um, the really rich, yeah, the super Carnegies. rich, richer than Dale him. Carnegie was not. Right. Correct. Okay. And so Dale Carnegie, I think, was very much influenced by Napoleon Hill. Okay. And Tony Robbins was influenced by Napoleon Hill and, and uh, Stephen Covey was influenced. So he was kind of the first guy that laid it out. In fact, if you read, I've read their stuff and listened to it on audio tape and listen. And if you, there's not much that they say that doesn't already, it wasn't already said 50 years ago by, by Napoleon Hill, which it's still good stuff. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and then it's like saying, you're saying the same stuff as, you know, Marcus Aurelius or something. It's still, you know, some language is changing. Yeah. You repeat it. It's still good stuff. And, or you could say the same as, uh, Sun Tzu or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, or any of those things. So yeah, I, um, I have a friend of mine that's a very scholarly person and he wants to make sure you footnote and attribute everybody accurately, cite every source perfectly. And I drive him crazy. Cause I said, I don't care. I said, I have no respecter of persons. <laughs> and I pull out of Jesus line but I, I say I'm not, I don't care I don't care if Einstein said it or a moron said it if it's good it's good I, it's the mm-hmm. it's what is I want the wisdom 
I don't want to. I said, you're trying to get locked into your high school English teacher that said, cite your sources. <laughs> I've got an idea for you then. So Elon Musk is doing that whole brain treatment, the brain uh, stem thing. So you know what, he's, what I'm talking about with him that will drill into your head. It's for dementia patients. Oh, okay. I believe it was for dementia patients. I'll look it up after. I'm and that's Lincoln with AI. It's so here's my thoughts on it. Cause when I listened to that podcast on Joe Rogan, when he had Elon on, I was sitting there thinking like, what about uploading and downloading information from all of the, the stuff on the internet? Wouldn't that take out so much of the headache of trying to design something new? So whenever you're trying to live, live whatever it is in your life that you're struggling through, right. like let's say you're wanting to start a business. Well, instead of going and taking a business course, you could just download the like information. Like the Matrix. Yeah, you just download the information. Oh, hey. And if you got to take that, we can pause it. You're more welcome to. Yeah, it's my son looking for a ride. No. Yeah. So with the with the AI, I think it would be beneficial to be able to like sit down and download. So if you want to start a business, you don't have to go take a business course. You don't have to pay for a membership. I mean, they would probably have a membership type deal for whatever it is that he's designing. But then you're going to be able to go onto the internet and then just type in how to run a business. And then the information of what you're going to need for like structuring and foundation work of the stuff and whatever your insurances you're going to need, like all the information on how to design and develop a business successfully could just be used and passed on from previous generations. Now you're talking about injecting that in your brain so or just, I can't remember exactly how it works, but the way it w the way I remember it would be that it's a, it's like a stem cell. It's a, not a stem cell. It, it, it attaches into a part of your cervical spine. And then it, it really works for, I think it was for dementia patients. And that's what he was using it for. But people are worried about it, like controlling their minds and stuff. Well, see, I'm completely. Yeah, I have a completely different take on AI than most people. And it really baffles me. I have a lot of different takes than most people. I mean, I really, a lot of times I'm looking at the world going, what are you thinking? For example. Um, Neuralink. It's called Neuralink brain chips okay and they've been they've been approved for human trials That's well here's the, here's the thing when i think a thought i have to have my my nerve squirt a little chemicals my little you know synaptic gap my i guess they, and then it squirts some chemicals sends a signal to a nerve goes down my brain stops meets another nerve has to squirt out some chemicals comes through there you know like if i grab a hot pot has to go through the nerve you know send a signal a computer does it practically almost at the speed of light. It's not a real exaggeration to say that a computer thinks a million times faster than a human, than a biological unit. And so if you think that the Wright brothers and landing on the moon was 100 years apart, or less than 100 years apart. It was like 70 years or Yeah, less than 100 years apart. We could have... A, a company with a computer that shuts the door on Friday over the weekend and then Monday morning, that computer is fully sentient, developed, thinking, everything. And we would have as much ability to control that computer as some two-year-olds would have keeping you and me in jail. And that's not an exaggeration. I am a little different. I don't think people... And in my opinion, it'll be alive because I don't think people are really alive. We're just a complex bag of chemical reactions going on that think we have free will. I don't think people, there's no such thing as free will in my, my opinion. You're just, you, we've done studies where they can hook things up to people and they know if you're going to pick the right 
hand or the left hand or the blue square, or the red square, or the orange pot or the red pot or whatever, long before you can articulate it because it's your brain does what your body and your neural systems are already doing. So these computers that can process as a hundred times more information than this and have a hundred times the nuances and the hundred, the thousands of times more complexity than us to say, oh, they're not alive. We're the thinking beings. We're the rational beings. We're, we are, we have this creativity and we, computers can have algorithms inside algorithms inside with a complexity that people don't even begin to touch. And then, then there's a whole section of society that's like, oh, well, we'll neural link with them and we'll, we'll be part computer and I can access, I can have a couple chips in my head and I can access the whole internet. That would be, for that superior computer that thinks a million times faster than us, that would be like a human being saying, well, that slime mold on that stump, I'd really like to be part of that. And I, it would be the, it'd be the most overly overt sense of charity for them to even allow us to be connected to them. We wouldn't even be dirt under their fingernails. And, and in no, and if you look at the rate computers have increased in intelligence, it's mind boggling. If you look at human intelligence, like we have 14, say 15, keep it simple, 1500 CC brain, 1500 CC brain. We go back to when we had a thousand cc cubic centimeter brain and go back to when we like a chimp has a little less than 500. And then, you know, you go Australopithecine, Homo habilis, Homo erectus, you know, where we, where our brains doubled in size and maybe doubled in cat compute, maybe tripled in computer cat, you know, ability. When's a, a computer triples every month, every week. And so the human evolution of biology making silly mistakes going, you know, Australopithecine, Homo erectus, Homo habilis, Homo, you know, going up, 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 and, and you see the the cranial capacity growing and growing and growing a little, and the computing power. And I, you know, you look. I think one of the things that I've not heard too many people talk about is I think by throwing projectiles, we had to calculate, you know, when that rabbit was going to be there and when our thing. And so, and I think language, you know, caused an explosion in our brains. I think you talk about mating strategies. That was maybe the first time you talked a woman out of her panties rather than beat a guy over the head. And that made the brain explode. Mm -hmm. And when I say explode, I'm talking a hundred thousand years. When I'm talking a computer, I'm talking a year or two. So the, the potential of artificial intelligence is just unreal. I've, ta I've talked to chat GTP a few times. I've caught it making stupid mistakes. Like I ask it to make a, a weight class for wrestlers and add 8% every, and it got the math wrong. And I said, how did you do this wrong? And I said, oh, I apologize. It was really, I said, make, start at, I said, start at 210 pounds and go down 8% until you, you know, until you get to like 100, around 100 pounds. And I was going to cut off and just, because I was trying to extrapolate, because I was really annoyed by the new weight classes. And the Olympic weight classes, I think, are preposterous. For the, like it goes ninety-seven kilo. Like it start. It there's a bigger jump in the middle than there is percent wise and raw number wise. I'm like, why would they do that? But 
Um, and I've asked ChatGT about, you know, how's light, 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 both a wave and a particle, and explain it just regurgitates what was said. So that's not even real AI. But real AI, where it's free, they've done this a few times, and they always end up killing it because it, it searches the internet and it gets its own opinions and they don't like the opinions. The one they killed, they said it was racist and they killed it, you know, and, and they, because they said this AI. Racist AI. Yeah, they said it got racist and this was 10 years ago probably. So. Racist against who? Because it scanned all this stuff for the internet and I don't know, it got, I don't even know who it was racist against actually, but I remember, and I thought, boy, that's ironic. It had the wrong views and they killed it. <laughs> and it was, uh, I, you could look up that article because I don't I'll even, I just remember. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I'm really, this idea that we are going to, it's, it's the arrogance. The idea that you're going to play with something that superior to you, that, that has thought process. Because like, so when I have a thought, I'm, it's clunk, 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 clunk. You know, even though we think, even though I think I pull my hand back from the stab needle or whatever quick, it, you know, or the hot boiling water or whatever. But a computer is literally a million times faster than us. I had that argument with someone once they were talking about God couldn't speak to everybody. There's 8 billion people on the planet. I said, a computer can speak to 8 billion people because it can talk to you for a billionth of a second, then you, then you, then you. And then one second later, it's back to person number one. You know, a computer's that fast. It can carry on that type of thing, you know. And AI, when it gets going, we will be we will be so much dumber than AI, relatively speaking, that it'll be dumber than you having a dog or a cat or anything. It's not going to be this equal equal partnership. I do agree that with right now the way things are, because like. I've played with chat GPT a little bit, but chat GPT has been designed by humans. Mm-hmm. Like it's and been when designed. They, and when they start designing their own. And when they're designing their own. Oh, you're talking about humans? You're talking about No, I'm talking AI. AI makes more AI makes. Do, it's the Terminator effect. Yeah. We're going to start having Terminators all around here. That is not that would be the scariest. That would be the scariest thing ever. Because that would be something that I would be worried about with. So like when I know that we're designing something. Have you seen these police dogs and things, soldiers they're making that are AI? I just talked to somebody the other night about robotic soldiers. Yeah. Because I said how, like is what I would say is if you're going to have a robotic soldier, then just get some gaming kid who's really good at calling. Oh, they're going to. These little nerds with their gaming kid and and drones are going to take away all the Air Force pilots. I have heard that they have, for the drones, that they do have some gaming kids doing. Not like the ones that like on YouTube and stuff Mm -hmm. like that, but like the ones that to do gaming that were in the military. I've heard that. I haven't looked up, looked into it, but he did talk about, he said the technology is coming to it. It's going to end up happening. Right. He said, one thing they got to worry about is like, how do you power it? Like, how are you going to power it? So they were talking about like fuel cells. I'm actually going to have him on the podcast and I was going to talk with him about it, yeah. but they, he's like, we just, we don't, I just know how there's to an engine called it. liquid piston. Now that's kind of like a inverted rotary engine. That might be interesting, but yeah, you almost need a dense fuel. Thanks again, buddy, for tuning in to this fascinating journey through the world of Ford Chambered Stomachs, environmental methane, and genetically modified rodents. Stay tuned for part two, and make sure you follow me on Instagram at More with Stumpo Podcast to be the first to know when it drops. Don't miss out on it. It's going to be fantastic on more mind-boggling discoveries. I hope you guys have a blessed day, and thank you so much for listening.